Welcome to the Brazil Church of the Nazarene Weekly Sermon Podcast for Sunday, March 17, 2019, titled The Prophecy. This is the second message in Pastor Marlon Betts' Lenten series based on the devotional book, For God So Loved. Today, we look at the passage where Jesus confronted the leaders of his day and called out for Jerusalem to come under the loving embrace of his wings. Let's listen. It's good to be in God's house, good to share God's word with you this morning as we look to Luke chapter 13, verse 31, we stand together. On that very day, some Pharisees came saying to Jesus, wow, that's awesome. try that again. When I start speaking, music begins to play. (laughs) On that very day, some Pharisees came saying to him, get out and depart from here, for Herod wants to kill you. Jesus said to them, go tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. Nevertheless, I must journey today, tomorrow, and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. But you were not willing. See, Your house is left to you desolate, and as surely I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we bow our hearts and our heads before you this morning. We want to be one of those that cries out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Help us to recognize the Messiah for who he is. Help us not to be one that stones the prophets that are sent unto us. Help us, Lord, to have a real relationship with you. Thank you for our time of sharing together. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It's good to have the children in worship today. And they'll be continuing to participate. This is an important Sunday for them. Probably all of you are familiar with the word prophet and what it means. While we at times have mistaken prophets to be future tellers, telling about the future, what they really are are truth tellers. Most of the time about what's going on right now, not just about what's in the future. Um, They reveal and share the truth given to them by God and the truth that is found and contained in God's Word. The Old Testament prophet and the New Testament preacher are pretty much the same thing. It's not just about foretelling in the future, but forthtelling the Word as God lays it on their hearts. Now, secular powers and the prophets have always had a difficult history. They've clashed a lot, uh, many times. Ahab and Jezebel chased Elijah for years. 
uh, Jeremiah was told that the truth he shared was nothing more than a lie. Dietrich Bonhoeffer faced resistance and died in prison when he spoke up against the Nazi regime. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. spoke the truth against an unfair treatment of black people during the Civil Rights Movement. And he was assassinated at the ripe old age of 39. We're not very good taking care of our prophets. We don't like it when they come against our powers that be. That's the sad truth today. I think of what Dr. Martin Luther King accomplished before the age of 39. And I wonder, what have I done in my years of ministry? People don't want to be told the truth. Especially when they have chosen to live contrary to God's will. But it is the job of the prophet, the preacher, to share the truth from God. Regardless of whether it is accepted or not, it can be a tough job. But the calling comes from God, and the responsibility to deliver his word comes from God. Jesus was such a prophet. He ruffled up the feathers of the status quo in his day on more than one occasion. And they didn't take kindly to his message of truth. And he would declare, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So as we move forward through Lent, let us pause a moment and consider the clash between Jesus and the leaders of his day and consider how it applies to us in our day today. First, we want to look at the powers, the powers that be, the powers. Biblical and world history have made it clear that the powers of this world like to stay in power. And they often react violently when they are pushed to examine their own motives. Why do you do the things you do and their actions? Why do you say the things that you say? Why do you lead the way you lead? We look at what we've been dealing with on a daily basis for over two and a half years now. Political powers dividing our nation until, well, they can, you just can hardly stand it anymore. This is not the America that we grew up with. This is America that is so polarized today that people will almost kill each other for the way we treat each other. They're grabbing a hold of power and they want to increase their power and they don't care what it takes. And some of them have totally swapped opinions from where they used to be in order to stay with their group in this fight for power. And now our country is super divided. Look at the struggles that have occurred in other countries of the world. Dictators and kingpins take control and then force the people to comply with their demands even to the point where people are fleeing their countries today because of the oppressive regime. Can't the people see? But no, they don't care. All they want to do is be in power. They don't care about truth. They don't care what's right. And so we have people today that are hungry. We have people today that are starving, people that are running, people today that are fleeing 
because it's all about power. It's not about truth. And that's a lot of our world today. The sad thing is that some leaders even use religion in some of those countries to help them stay in power. And the Pharisees were one such group that are shown up here in this passage. They saw Jesus as a threat to their religious power. So they fought against Jesus every chance they could. They came to Jesus here in verse 31 warning him to stop his teaching and leave because Herod had put out a bolo for his arrest. There was constant sparring between the Pharisees and Jesus. Some of the parables he told. Some of the other stuff was, was in direct contrast. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, he laid them out more than once. Look at them, how they walk around and look so pious and etc. When they really, all they want to do is get the attention of, of men. But really, they are not living the way God has called them to live. In fact, there's a whole chapter in Matthew 23 where Jesus just comes out again, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. I mean, he says that I don't know how many times, verse after verse, because of the way they lived and the way that they were supposed to live. And they were supposed to be religious leaders, and yet they were not following the truth. They were not living the right way. They had religiosity. But they also had hypocrisy. Obviously, they weren't too happy with the truth of Jesus and his message, which exposed their lack of compassion and exposed that they were full of self-centeredness. The actions of Jesus, well, they were putting the Pharisees to shame. Jesus was doing what the religious leaders should have been doing. With all his compassion, he was going around healing and teaching and touching lives and feeding them and making a real difference, teaching the truth, and the crowds were swarming after him. And they realized the difference, that those who acted religious weren't really caring about the people. But Jesus cared. He touched them. Herod also considered Jesus a threat to his power. His power was political. Jesus was preaching about a kingdom of God as being superior to any king or any dynasty or any nation or any power on earth. In God's kingdom, the last shall be first. The needs will be met. The captives should be set free. It was a kingdom of restoration, a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of equality. And Herod, however, was a person who was in control. He liked control. He liked his wealth. He liked his power. He liked to order things to happen. And these people go and do that. And these guards go and do that. And, and, and all things that Jesus spoke against, he was for it. Because he wanted to be in power. He had divorced his own wife in order to marry the wife of his half-brother. He even built a new city, Tiberias, on top of a Jewish graveyard. He did not care about the people. He cared about power. He obviously didn't even care about right and wrong. He used power to do what he felt was best for himself. 
And in verse 31, he was even willing to use his position to kill Jesus. If he could catch him. And Jesus summarized the attitude of another group. The capital city, Jerusalem. When he cried out. Because they didn't accept the truth. They didn't want to recognize the Messiah. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. Obviously, the powers that be had a problem with the followers of Jesus. And they had a problem themselves with following the truth. They had a problem themselves with accepting the will of God. Oh, they were religious. But they could not even see Jesus for who he was. The lesson here is that there will always be some form of opposition to those who follow Jesus Christ. For Americans, this opposition has been limited over the years. Well, we were a country that was formed from people fleeing religious oppression. They came to the United States to be free from all that oppression. They called them pilgrims. We were the country that had in God we trust put on our coins. We were the country that said, let everyone come. We accept you. We love you. And we, we want this to be a Christian nation. And our Pledge of Allegiance... Under God was part of the way we believed. But now it seems that the power behind the current popular sins is taking direct aim at the principles of right and truth as outlined in the Word of God. We are on a collision course. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are a Christian today, you are on a collision course with the world. And the truth is no longer considered truth. They would as soon throw it out. Because it doesn't match their popular sins. And this has been going on. But we've been sowing to the wind. And now we're reaping the whirlwind because the church has been quiet. We are a nonprofit country where pastors and teachers and lay people are scared to say what is true. Do you know where you stand today? When you are tempted to yield to the pressure of a society that's running in the opposite direction from God and his word, we need to remember the example of Jesus that we preached about last week when he was in the wilderness and being tempted. What did he do? He went to the Word. And he said, this is what I believe. And this is the way I live. And he quoted the Word of God 
to the devil, to his face, and said, the word says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. The word says, man shall not live by bread alone. The word says, and he said, I will live and die by the word. That's the example of Jesus. So we challenged you last week, when you get tempted, memorize the scripture that will help you defeat Satan when that temptation comes. I hope you've been working on that this week. You got your scriptures ready? When the devil comes around, what you going to do? You're going to quote scripture to him, right? In the name of Jesus, I'm standing on this truth. Get behind me, Satan. Get out of here. This is the word of God. Amen. In contrast to the powers, we have secondly the prophet. As Jesus traveled around, he was healing people. He was, he was casting out demons. He was preaching freedom for the oppressed. He was preaching the start of a new kingdom. And those in control did not like his message. They reacted violently to these examinations of their heart. They reacted critically to the words that called for justice and peace and compassion. They reacted with anger to his words about repentance and new birth and a new relationship of love towards God and others. They certainly rebelled. At his sermon, the last shall be first. He was turning everything upside down in the value system of the day. He was a prophet unlike any other. And so Jesus was threatened. Again and again threatened. His disciples were threatened. They wanted him to tone it down. They wanted to shove him off a hill. They wanted to get rid of him. They wanted him killed. However, Jesus didn't flee. He just kept preaching the truth. And he kept marching down the pathway. And as we start this chapter, he's marching towards Jerusalem. And then we see this. I know he goes around and around, back and forth between Galilee and, and uh, through Samaria once or twice. But most of the time, it's Galilee and Judea. And he just keeps following the path that God has told him to go. But eventually, he knows it's coming toward the end of his ministry. And he starts going toward Jerusalem. And his destiny with a cross. But he was moving toward the very seat of earthly power. Not only did he move closer to the city, but he also continued to do the things that angered the leaders in the first place. He continued to heal. Continued to free. Continued to preach. Continued to do the work of God that God had called him to do. He didn't run away from the threat. Rather, he seemed to embrace it, saying he longed to gather the children of Israel under his wings like a hen with her chicks. Though they rejected his words and acts of liberation, Jesus continued to speak truth to the powerful, knowing his ministry and message would ultimately lead to a cross. It would lead to his death. He didn't care. He had to preach the truth. He was a prophet without honor in his own country. He called Herod a fox here in verse 32. 
He recognized that Herod was cunning, but he also knew that Jesus knew that his own time to die was still down the road a few weeks. So he wasn't too worried about what Herod was going to do because he knew there was a power in greater control than Herod on the throne. Because there's somebody else on a throne, and his name is God Almighty. And Jesus served God Almighty, and him only did he serve. And if he was walking towards Jerusalem and going toward his death and taking the 12 apostles with him, it didn't matter because God had set a limit. And what Herod could do and what Herod could not do was determined by Almighty God. So he said, tell it, old fox. Wait until tomorrow. And the day after that, and even the third day, then you can do what you want to with me. But until then, God's not through with me yet. He wasn't worried about what Herod's going to do. Because he knew he had a powerful God up there. His heavenly Father. Who could even limit the king of this earth. Some of you are worried about what Trump's going to do. But I tell you, there's a Heavenly Father. Some of you are worried about Congress. There's a Heavenly Father. Some of you are worried about King Jong-un or whatever his name is. You may have been worried about Saddam Hussein. You may be worried about the, the dictator down in Venezuela. I don't know what you're worried about, but there's a Heavenly Father. And I don't care who they are or how much control they have. Ladies and gentlemen, they don't have all control. How many kings have been pushed aside? How many dictators have been removed? How many have then ended up running for their lives? Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And none of them are going to last beyond their final breath. And they're going to go face the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And every knee will bow before him because he's the lion and the lamb. We sang that in the first song this morning. Our God is a lion. Our God is a lamb. The lion and the lamb. You better know where you stand with the lion and the lamb. Not where you stand with the Republicans or the Democrats. Ooh, where am I at? Jesus knew his death was approaching. He referred to his death when he talked about the three days. He mentioned him twice, verse 32 and then in verse 33. He also referenced his death when talking about how Jerusalem had killed the prophets in, in the days ahead. And so he, he said, you've got to get me when I get to Jerusalem, verse 33. And then when he prayed, verse 34, O Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets, stones those who are sent unto you. So he knew about it. He knew his death was coming. He knew that God's will and timing would figure in to his death. But he also knew nothing's going to happen to him until his mission and his ministry were done. Amen. And ladies and gentlemen, nothing's going to happen to you. You stand for Jesus until your ministry is done. 
I don't care what they do to you. I don't care what they say to you. You stand your ground and live for Jesus Christ until you breathe your last. They chased Paul all over the place. I mean, he was stoned three times. He'd get up and go again. They, they tried to kill him. His ministry wasn't through. And he kept on going. There's a certain kind of bravery that can walk toward death in confident hope while preaching the very words that's going to get you killed simply because they are the words God wants you to speak. This is not a politically correct message. But I want it to be God's word. We have seen this type of bravery at various moments in history. We've already mentioned the Old Testament prophets who preached, taught, and illustrated God's word despite knowing what the consequences could be. Some weren't even prophets. There are three Hebrew boys that are supposed to bow to an idol, and if they didn't, they'd be cast into the fiery furnace. And what'd they say? We don't want to disrespect you, king, but, but we've got a greater king. And how many Christians today are so quickly bowing to the world around them and their opinions, and they won't stand up for Jesus? And what is right? And so they cranked up the furnace so hot that the guys who threw the three Hebrew boys in were killed by the heat of the furnace. But yet they walked around, the ropes burnt off, and they came out and their robes were intact and their hair was not singed. They said, didn't we throw three in there? I see four men in there. Kind of lets you know if you take the stand for Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ will take the stand with you. It's funny how the Lord is directing this sermon because that wasn't in there. We've heard the stories of how the disciples were killed. The tradition and how some of them were hanged and some of them were, were boiled and some of them were put on a cross. Peter didn't want to be on a cross like Jesus, so he asked him, hang him upside down. We've heard how the martyrs were, were put out there for sport and they let the lions kill them and they burned some at the stake and they did all this stuff to them because they believed in Jesus Christ and would not renounce their faith. We've even seen the pictures of today. Well, not today, but in the distant past of, of those Christians who, with hoods on their face, are down on their knees, and their hands tied behind their back, and guys with knives to their throats. Because they would not renounce their faith in Jesus Christ. We know that Christians are still being killed for their faith today. 
just not yet in America. But when they come knocking on your door and say, I know that you attend the Brazil Church of the Nazarene, your neighbors report that you leave there your house every Sunday morning and you go up there and listen to that heretic preach. And one of those people in the church has even said they heard you say amen, Mike Sparks. You said amen. Oops, I just said your name. Oh, now they're after Eric. Anybody else want to go on record? We got to go on record for Jesus, ladies and gentlemen, because if they come looking at you and want to find out what has made you wrong, why you are in opposition to the country, can they find any evidence that you are a Christian? Because if you're really a Christian, there ought to be some evidence. Yes, the Bible. Amen. There is a reason why Jesus and other Christians could face death so calmly. You know what that reason was? We're marching toward it through Lent. Because on Good Friday, there's a cross. But on Easter Sunday, there's an empty tomb. And the reason they could march confidently toward their future, whichever it would be, life or death, it didn't matter, Paul said to me, is live as Christ and to die is gain. They didn't matter. They were marching toward their death. Why? Because they know that beyond the cross, there's an empty tomb. And beyond this life, there's a resurrection. Are we living for this life or are we living for the next life? There's a resurrection, ladies and gentlemen. This is not the end. Those that are in control, this is the end. When they die, this is it. But for the Christian, there's eternal life. There's eternal life, folks. And that's what we're living for. The first thing's going to happen, Jesus is going to wipe away every tear. Wow. That wasn't in here either. Because when Jesus mentioned the third day, 32 and 33, those verses, he was hinting at his resurrection. (laughs) You can do what you want to me. You can take me to the cross. You can nail me down. You can can kill me when God's timing is right. But guess what? The day after that, you still do what you want to me. Put me in a tomb. Seal the door. Put guards out there. Post it. Do all you want to do. But I'm telling you, on the third day, I'm coming out of that grave. You ain't doing nothing on that day, Herod. You can spread your little gossip around, bribe the, the guards to say that they, the disciples stole away your body, but let Jesus, there's the nail prints. There's where they stuck me in the side. Jesus is alive, ladies and gentlemen. What do you think we're worshiping on Sunday for? Because Jesus is alive. The resurrection happened. And every Christian who has ever died did so from way back then all the way up to the recent, most recent person who's, who's been crucified or throat slit or whatever happened because they're a Christian. Every one of them did so with a promise of a resurrection and a promise of eternal life. 
That's what we got, ladies and gentlemen. They can take our life, but they can't take our life. Yes, it does. Because they can take your physical life, but they can't take your eternal life. Because you're going to live forever. And that is why we can say goodbye to our Christian family members who die. That's why I can look at my mom and say, it's okay. I don't like looking in a casket. It's not my favorite thing to do. But you know, when they've gone to heaven, that that's what it's all about. And someday when I'm all pretty in a casket, you can come by and say your kind words. Oh, doesn't he look cute? But the one thing you'll know is, I've been, been to see Jesus. We know we will see them again in heaven. The resurrection takes away the sting of death. Thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we've talked about the powers and the prophet who, who confronted the, the powers. <laughs> but now we've got one more. There's meaning in the prophecy. The prophecy. Every time I read these words of Jesus, they grip my heart. Oh, Jerusalem... Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. But you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. And as surely I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Doesn't that grip you? Oh, Washington, Washington. Oh, Brazil, Brazil, how oft would I have gathered you in? You don't listen to the prophets. You stone the messengers of God who come to you. But I love you and I want to gather you in. That's a sad piece of scripture. But the other side of it is there's some people that are going to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, Jesus was not focused on his own approaching death so much as he was concerned about the desolation of the empty hearts of the people who were turning him down. His mission and message was to gather the people into himself to save them from sin, from bondage, from darkness, and to bring them into salvation, to bring them to freedom, to bring them to light, to give them truth. But they refused to listen. Many of them refused to accept him. Many of them refused God's answer to their problem, God's truth, God's light, God's plan of salvation. His posture is one of compassion. His voice is one of concern. If anyone rejects Jesus, it's not going to be because God didn't try. 
God made his offer of salvation. He made it clear. He made it plain. He made it so all the world could see. He did it on an old rugged cross. God sent his son. In our Lenten theme, God so loved the world. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is the story of the book. God so loved. story, I think it's in one of Laurel Eagle's Wilder book, maybe a little house in the prairie. They moved out there and there was a prairie fire came across and destroyed everything. There's other versions of this story because it's happened more than once. Walking around they came across the dead hen burnt to a crisp and they gave it a kick and out from underneath it came all these live chicks Jesus said how oft would I have gathered you that mother hen had gathered her chicks underneath the protection of her wings and spread them out and gave her life so that the little ones could survive Life follows death. Life follows death. Your life came around because of his death. Jesus so wanted his death to mean something, he really wanted the people to come to the point where they could say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He knew that when people discovered and accepted God's offer of salvation, they would bless the name of Jesus for the rest of their lives. Jesus wanted the people to experience the change salvation brings. What good is his death on the cross to the person who rejects Jesus? What good is it if Jesus died for you if you won't accept it? His death only has value to the person who believes in him. For God so loved the world, gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. It only has value if you believe in him. It only works if you believe in him. Only those who accept the death of Christ as an offering for their sin can enjoy the resurrection that follows. Only they can have eternal life. That's the person who has everlasting life, the one who believes in him. And that is the compassionate, compassionate, compassionate prophecy of Jesus. We could get into all others, but that's the part. I want to gather you. I want to die for you. 
so that you can have everlasting life. So what do we take with us as we walk out of this sanctuary today? There's a number of things. First, as Christians, we are to continue to speak out truth with bravery. Continue to speak out the truth with bravery, ladies and gentlemen. Because the Pharisees, the Herods, and the Jerusalems of our day and our world are out there. They do not like the truth found only in Jesus Christ. But we have to remain faithful to God's truth, even if it takes us to our own cross. Share God's truth with bravery. As Christians, we are to continue to speak out truth with compassion. It's not enough just to say the truth. You have to do it in love. We are still called to seek for the lost, to care for the brokenhearted, to declare freedom to the captive. If they won't come to us, then we must go to them with the compassion of Jesus. We need to love the world as Jesus loved the world. And Lent is a time to set aside, to reevaluate our lives. We need to notice the areas where we are becoming the Pharisee, where we are becoming the Herod, where we are becoming Jerusalem in our world. How do we seek to get attention and grab power and control others? Because God is calling us to fast. He's calling us to put aside the desires that control you. In doing so, we can reevaluate our own spiritual priorities, make the necessary changes, and begin a new level of personal spiritual growth. That's what God's calling us to. He's calling from the tree. Do you love me more than these? Do you really love me? Are you willing to give that up and come and follow me? If you really want to follow Jesus, you've got to take up your cross and leave everything else and follow him. And many of us sling our backpack of all the stuff we want to take with us as we follow Jesus. If I remember right, when you come and fall at the foot of the cross, the sword comes out and cuts off the backpack. Surrender everything. Surrender everything to Jesus. Amen? Fourth thing is Jesus' compassion invitation is still true today. Jesus still wants to gather the wayward chicks under his wings. He is still calling out to those who are straying after the lie. He is saying to them, come back to me. Come to the truth. I love you. I will give you new life and a fresh start. That's the lie of Satan. This is the truth. Come and follow me. This is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's the words of Jesus not the words of this pastor. So do you hear the voice of Jesus calling to you today? He is calling you to salvation. He is calling you to put aside the hindrances to spiritual growth. He is calling you to share his truth to the sinners around you. He is calling. He is calling. Are you listening? Will you respond? Will you answer the call? As our praise team comes and leads us in our time of family altar, Jesus is calling today.
He's calling. Are you willing to stand for the truth? Are you willing to follow him? Are you willing to give your life back to Jesus? Let's come and pray about it this morning. Let's stand together. As they lead us in a song, respond by coming and praying at this altar. It's so good to talk to Jesus, isn't it? Lord, we're just grateful that we got time in this service just to set aside, just to talk to you. And Lord, it doesn't matter if we're four years old or 140. <laughs> Lord, we just want to give you everything. Yes. Lord, we just want to give you our heart and our life. You said a little child shall lead them. And Lord, we just want to follow the example of the children. Just openly just say, I want Jesus in my life. Thank you, Lord, that you spoke to us today. Help us to stay strong in the word. Help us to hide your word in our heart that we might not sin against you. Help us, Lord, to know that Jesus is the truth, and we need to follow him wherever that leads us through life. And help us, Lord, to stand firm on that sure foundation, the rock Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, now as we worship you, in the remainder of this service, and Lord, hear from our children and realize, Lord, what you want to do in us and through us. Lord, there's great things that are happening. Lord, help us to be a part of that. Help us to get involved. Help us to give 100% and then a little bit more for the kingdom of God. Lord, help our children to be saved. Help our grandchildren to be saved. Help our neighbor to be saved. Help our best friends to get saved. Lord, help us to find that person at work that needs to get saved. Help us that person at school. Help them to get saved. Lord, we have so many that we, we know that are not Christians. And help us to pray for them until they get saved. Help us to hold tight to the hand of Jesus in one hand and to that sinner in the other hand. And pull the two together through our prayers. And through our efforts, Lord, you're not willing that any should perish, but you want all to come to a place of repentance. Thank you for that today. Love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this sermon. If you're looking for a church in the Brazil, Indiana area, the Brazil Church of the Nazarene invites you to join us as we seek him, celebrate him, and serve him. Sunday morning, we have Sunday school at 9 a.m. and worship at 10 a.m. During worship, we have We Worship for preschool-aged kids and a children's church for elementary-aged kids. For this information, news, a schedule of events, and more, please visit us online at brazilnaz.com. That's B-R-A-Z-I-L-N-A-Z.com. Or visit us in person at 1002 East National Avenue in Brazil. Thank you, and God bless.